0: Repentance is not just a series of words, yet we see here that there, are, there is a turning, a turning away from the things that are false to the things that are true. So as Paul has commended them for all of these things, their effectual faith, their evidence of electing love, their eagerness in how they receive the gospel, not just in word, but in power, how others knew of their evangelistic zeal. Paul saves this last portion of this particular chapter, and he said this repentance that was evident is really the key to everything that he has said. They had turned away from their idols to become worshipers of the true and living God. True repentance of the Thessalonians was a comfort to Paul. He says, this this brings comfort to me to know that you have turned away from these idols. Now, it's very interesting, this verse number nine here, as we consider this, we'll come back to it again in in more depth, but I want us just to, to look at the words here in verse number nine. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you. This first phrase is a very interesting phrase, and we'll expound on this a little bit more, but in the, the clarity of the wording here and, and the meaning of the word, that notice it says what manner of entering in. The word manner is another word for sort or what sort of entering in. The word entering in is a, the tense or the tone there is a road. So what Paul is saying here is he's saying that what sort of inroads the gospel had when we came unto you. It came unto you in these powerful ways. It came unto you, and it came in such power, and it came in repentance. It resulted in repentance. We can say without apology this morning that there is no true repentance and conversion unless a man forsakes his former idols. And not only is it a forsaking, It is a turning from and a turning to, and he worships the true and living God. And he celebrates and worships Christ as the only Redeemer. That hymn that we sang, there is a Redeemer, single. He's not one of many Redeemers. There is a Redeemer. The Thessalonians at one time had been known for their worship of false gods. Now they were no longer known for their worship of false gods. Now they are known for the worship of the true God. People are quick to repent, but not so quick to turn. Repentance comes quickly and by word only, but it is true repentance that is also witnessed in a turning. Turning that from that which is not right, turning to that which is right turning from a dead false God unto the one true living God. So first thing this morning or a first point or first header we want to consider is that evident repentance acknowledges the true and living God and forsakes dead idols. Evident repentance acknowledges the true and living God and forsakes dead idols." Paul gives a report of how the gospel came unto them, and we've covered that, and we won't cover that again today. But their faith in God, their reaction to the gospel, how these reports came and now that it goes all over the world and other believers know and are encouraged by what's taking place in Thessalonica. We also know that when Paul speaks of the manner of entering in that we had unto you, we remember how Paul had uh, told them the difficulties in which Paul had labored in and how they had to deal with unbelieving Jews. They had to deal with the reproaches. They had to deal with the things and persecutions that came unto them when they came into Thessalonica. And remember, we even talked about how the Thessalonians themselves had to deal with persecution. Paul is speaking about the manner in which they received the gospel and how that when we came unto you, we preached with boldness, we preach with sincerity, we preached with uprightness and affection. We didn't desire to flatter you, but rather we came in the power of God and it was brought in with success. You readily and reverently received the word. That those manners or those, those ways, those examples of when the, when the gospel comes in is going to lead to a true repentance that is marked by a turning away from that which is false into that which is true. Again, there is no real repentance without a forsaking of dead idols. I think one of the things that we're most often not fully aware, and sometimes we don't fully engage in what what Paul was talking about, in Thessalonica, these conversions of the faith were remarkable ones. Now, every conversion is a remarkable conversion. The greatest miracle that Christ ever performed was saving a soul. The greatest miracle is saving a soul that was once bound for hell and is now alive forevermore. And yet, these conversions to the faith, Paul came in and he, he came without any fanfare. He came without, uh, without friends. And he came into Thessalonica when they were in their lowest condition. They were dead in their trespasses and sins. They were worshiping false gods. And yet, when we came in, it came in power. Sometimes we forget the reality of what Paul had endured for the cause of Christ How Paul had been beaten many times. He had been imprisoned at Philippi. See, it doesn't even matter what the preacher looked like. He came in power and God worked in a mighty way through him. So much that many turned from long-standing false gods and turned to the living God. We're not talking about gods that were just gods of man's creation over the last month or so. These were long-standing gods that the Thessalonians turned from. Every society has long-standing gods. Every society does. And those societies, they, they hold those gods up to a very high level. They treat them as this is the God that we serve. So when Paul says, how we entered in unto you, all the evidences that you received it, and in all of that, you turned. You turned to God. That's a remarkable statement. Turn to God. From idols. To serve. Now oftentimes we see the word serve and we begin to immediately think that means we did something. The the word serve there in its purest sense is actually the same word as to worship. Now, service comes with it, no question. But when you turn to God from idols, the first response is not what do I do, it's worship. See, even false gods, which are not real, are still worshiped by somebody. They're treated as if they are a real God. True repentance, evident repentance Is a turning to God, not just in word, not just in deed, but in true worship. Truly worshiping now the only living God. He turned from idols to serve. The gospel came in. They turned not in their own strength, not in their own will, but by the power and grace of God. The first work of conversion, the work of conversion, friends, it's God's work. God converts the soul. God regenerates. But man is given the responsibility to then respond to that God and to respond to him in a spirit of worship under the same influence of grace that saved him. In other words, grace just doesn't save us. It is that same grace that allows us to serve and worship Him. A man's not saved by grace to go serving his false gods. No, he's saved by grace, and that same grace is what allows him, by his own free will, don't make any mistake about it, by his own free will to serve and worship the living God. There are many idols that the Thessalonians had, of course. Sometimes we're very quick to point out the external idols and we don't think about internal idols. External idols are often very easy to identify. They are false gods. They maybe took the form of a wooden statue. They may have taken the form of a particular building or a particular thing in nature. But the most dangerous idol, the idol is the idol of of our own heart. You see, it's possible for you to turn away from the fictitious false god and not worship the, the, the wooden statue, but what about the internal idols of your own heart? Those internal idols are things that are not as evident to other people, but they're certainly evident to God. Paul, I believe, is not just talking about the external idols. I believe Paul is talking about internal idols as well. The idols of our heart. Most all of our idols, if not all of them, strive from our own lust. Idols are what we worship. Idols are the things we lust after. They show us something or they provide something that we think that we want. That's why it's called lust. Every one of us, at one time or another, and maybe even still today, have internal idols. Things that we still hold up as and very important to us, and we might not bow down to them and we may not have an altar at home, but we understand that there is still a great devotion to that internal idol. We still thrive after it. We still serve it. We still feed it. And in some ways, we still worship it. I think it would be dangerous for us just to look at this to say and say that only Paul only intended that they turned away from the false gods of external he also meant the internal. And I think that's important for us to consider here. Again, back to the phrase or the word to serve. Notice it says to serve the living and true God. Why is God called the living God? Because God in and of himself is life. He has life in and of himself. He is the fountain of life to others. Every living creature owes his or her life to the living God. Even the wicked unbeliever today owes his or her life to the living God. He doesn't have life in it of himself. Man only has life because the living true God gave him life. The living God is given here as a direct opposition to dead idols. That's why Paul says to serve the living and true God. He's indicating to them and reminding them the idols that you once served were dead idols. And by the way, those internal idols of our own heart, those are dead idols as well. Those will never bring you life. Whatever that idol is in your heart today will never bring you life. As a matter of fact, I would dare say most internal idols, they will bring us Death as we continue to hold on to them. Maybe not spiritual death if we're in Christ, but they are still dead idols. He's the living and true God. Why is he called the true God? He is the true God because not only is he life itself, he's truth itself. God is truth. He faithfully performs everything that is truthful. He keeps all of His promises. He performs all that He's promised. He is to be worshipped, as the Bible teaches us, in spirit and in truth. It's impossible to worship a false dead God in spirit and in truth because it's dead and it's not true. Now these Thessalonians no longer worshipping the dead idol. Now they are worshipping the living God. They're walking according to his precepts. The word to serve their worship, again, is a word we often think of. Worship is what we do before the sermon. And again, worship is not just singing hymns. Worship is not just uh, acknowledging that that's part of the worship service. Worship is a 24-7 endeavor. I am to be in a spirit of worship Every moment of my life, I'm to be worshiping God on my job, wherever I work, wherever I go, I'm to be worshiping the true and living God, not just when I come to church, not just when I enter into this building or another assembly of believers. This worship is when we walk according to His precepts. Obedience is worship. When we love one another, it's worship. When we desire to follow the commandments of God, we are demonstrating that we are truly worshiping the true and living God. So we understand here, as Paul sets kind of these last two verses, we, we need to remember that evident repentance acknowledges the true and living God and forsakes dead idols. Number two, the second heading here. Evident repentance affirms God's coming universal judgment by Jesus Christ. Evident repentance affirms God's coming universal judgment by Jesus Christ. Notice he says in verse 10, and to wait. And to wait for whom? For his Son. Where is he coming from? He's coming from heaven. The Lord Jesus Christ, who is the eternal Son of God, he's coming. Every believer who's truly been converted, everyone who is truly in the faith, who has turned to God, is waiting for his return. To wait doesn't just simply mean that we're standing in a parking lot or standing in our yard and looking up. The word to wait is an action word. It's not passive. The word to wait is actually it's animated. It is it is it means to continually believe, continually receive, continually embrace, continually profess. And I would dare say continual repentance. Repentance is not a one and done. Too many people are taught that all I have to do is repent of my sins one time and then I'm good. No, repentance is continual. Repentance is evident. It will continue to show. Here's a reference back to the, His Son, Jesus Christ, who obeyed the Father, assumed a robe, took on a robe of human flesh, came to this earth, Suffered, bled, and died. That suffering servant that we read about in Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 is the prophecy of Jesus Christ who would come. After his death, his burial, his resurrection, Jesus Christ ascended back to the Father. Back to his right hand. That's where he is today. He is ever-living, making intercession. Paul says, you're waiting for his son from heaven. We wait because he will one day descend. He will come back again, but this time he will come back and will judge the world according to perfect righteousness. That perfect righteousness and that judgment is to be expected By every believer. Yes, we look forward to the blessed hope. And yes, we look forward to the day when we will be forever with him. But we as believers are also supposed to be looking forward to the coming judgment. Not because we find pride in it or we find arrogance in it. But we know that Jesus Christ is perfect righteousness and the perfect judge. We wait for when the perfect judge will come to judge the world in perfect righteousness. We wait by faith. We wait under persecution. We wait under discouragement. We wait when things are not as we thought they would be. But we have something to look forward to. When he will appear and his kingdom will come. Paul writes to people who were acquainted with these truths. They understood when Paul wrote to wait for his son. He didn't have to explain to them, what does it mean to wait for his son? Because they were acquainted with these truths. They had already believed in this Christ. How do we know that they truly believe? Because they acted upon what they believed in. Worship is acting upon what you believe in, or in this case, whom you believe in. I worship not because I don't know. I worship because I do know. I worship Christ in spirit and truth because I do believe in him. I do know him. I do trust in him. He also reminds them of the resurrection. To wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. Even Jesus. God the Father through the Spirit raised Jesus Christ from the dead and Jesus Christ was declared to be the Son of God. Declared to be the Son of God and that through His death, His dying for the sins of His people, He rose again and as He rose again, He rose for their justification. These are truths that every believer, every believer who is truly in Christ knows. They know these truths. They're acquainted with these truths and they can never hear them enough, they never say, I've heard about this too many times. Because if your worship is not around those things, and it's not true worship at all, if your worship is around just because I want God to do good things for me, you're not truly worshiping in spirit and truth. You're worshiping because you are acquainted with the real Son of God. Not man's portrayal of God. These are the things of faith. These are the proofs of evident repentance. These believers did not look lightly upon the fact of the resurrection and its truth. Even Jesus, which delivered us from wrath to come. The Bible teaches us that God's wrath is revealed from heaven against sin and all unrighteousness. Every child of disobedience... Every sinner is deserving of the wrath of God. Even God's elect are deserving of the wrath of God. You and I today sit still in and of ourselves apart from Jesus Christ's righteousness. You deserve the wrath of God. I deserve the wrath of God. I deserve it right this minute. I'll deserve it tomorrow and the day after that and every day of my life. I will deserve the wrath of God But the Bible tells us that those that are his will not be recipients of the wrath of God. Bible says that his own are not appointed unto wrath, but to salvation. You see, this is the thing of opposites. To be appointed to the wrath of God means you're not saved. To be saved means you are no longer subject to the wrath of God. And yet, we've been justified. Justified by the blood and the righteousness of Christ, we are delivered from the very wrath of God, but we are delivered from wrath itself, which is an important distinction. You see, when Jesus Christ died, and Jesus Christ was on the cross, and He was buried and He rose again, He turned away the wrath of God. But the full completion of this, the entirety of this, will not be fully on display until the day of judgment. The wrath's been turned away. But the totality of this will be seen at judgment day. It is only through the righteousness of Christ that you and I as believers will be spared what wrath brings. Wrath brings condemnation, And wrath brings eternal punishment for sins that you and I still deserve. You still deserve it. I still deserve it. But yet, I have been spared from that. We are saved by God from the wrath of God in order that we will live for God. That's the truth. We are saved by God from the wrath of God in order that we will live for God. We read in our call to worship from Romans 5. I want you to go back there for a moment. I want you to look at the verses previous to where we read in Romans chapter number 5. And I want you to look back at verse number 9 with me. And this clearly shows us and explains to us exactly what we're saved from. Romans 5, 9. Much more than... And then, if you go back to verse 8, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now, you see the pictures of what's being given here. We also see over in Romans chapter number 8, verse number 1, very familiar passage to us. Romans 8, verses verses 1 and 2, Paul writes this. He says, There is therefore now. No condemnation, no condemnation, zero condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. That's the only way to escape condemnation, is to be in Christ Jesus. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. You see, Christ is at the very center of that. This wrath that has been turned away. Paul states that this evident repentance that is now clearly seen in you, it's witnessed first when you turned From your love of idols, dead idols, to love and to serve the living and true God. It may be today, we still may have some of those dead internal idols. You're not worshiping today at a false church. You're not reading about a false god but yet I found in my own life the most dangerous thing are those internal idols that are still there. And see, I can't point those out to you and you can't point those out to me because they're not evident to you and they're not evident to me. Now, there may be things on the outside that you may observe in my life. I may see things in your life and I, I may make an assumption that I know what your internal idol is. But in reality, I really don't. But I think we all are subject to times in our life when an internal idol begins to take the place of the true and living God. Even as believers, we have this idea that once we're in Christ, we don't ever have to worry about idols raising up again. We have to continually, daily worry about idols raising up because there is always something in competition for your worship. There's always something competing for it. It's competing in my heart. It's competing in your heart. Every day, there's an idol that wants to take root. And those idols are the ones that often, that's not part of our repentance. Those are our untouchable things. Those are the things that nobody knows about, but I'm keeping them for myself. Now, today, we don't know where, what that might be for you, what that might be for me. It might be an idol of pride. It might be an idol of thinking too highly of yourself, loving yourself too much. It may be a lust. It may be an ambition. Or it may flat out just be rebellion. You've decided that something in your life I'm going to rebel against. I'm going to say no. I'm not doing it. Rebellion's an idol. Pride is an idol. Lust is an idol. What do we do? We submit to His will. We repent of that idol. We forsake it, just as Paul said. We turn to God from the idol, whether external or internal, to serve, to worship the living and true God. Whatever your idol is, it's not God today, is a dead, false idol, and it will lead you nowhere even though it will promise you pleasure for a season. See, that idol is bringing you some sort of joy. That's why it's there. That idol means something to you. That's why it's there. See, we're, we don't have any problem getting rid of the idols that don't mean anything. But that idol, whatever it is, it's bringing you pleasure of some sort. We follow the example of this repentance. We turn from those idols, those external and internal idols, false ideas about who God is. But we look forward and await the return of our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for our our sins, was raised from the dead, and is seated at the Father's right hand. We wait for he who will come again. You didn't just believe that once, you believe it continually. Day after day, month after month, year after year, you continually believe that Jesus Christ is coming again. Evident repentance. The Thessalonians had it, Paul commended them for it. And yet we ask ourselves this morning and question ourselves and say, listen, am I giving evidence of my repentance? Or was it just a one-time deal for me? I repented of my sins 15 years ago. That's great, but what about the sins of today? What about the sins of yesterday? What about the sins of this morning? What about that idol that started raising up today and you actually gave it just a little bit of your worship this morning? You gave it just a little bit. Just just a little, no big deal, just a little bit of my time, a little bit of my worship. You see, evident repentance is marked by continually repenting and daily repenting. Next week, we'll get into the second chapter of this book, But as we finish this time this morning, I want us to consider and think about this idea of continual repentance. Let's stand as we'll close this time together. And appropriately, the Valley of Vision this morning is entitled Continual Repentance. And if you have a copy of this, you can certainly follow along. O God of grace, Thou hast imputed my sin to my substitute and hast imputed his righteousness to my soul, clothing me with a bridegroom's robe, decking me with jewels of holiness. But in my Christian walk, I am still in rags. My best prayers are stained with sin. My penitential tears are so much impurity. My confessions of wrong are so many aggravations of sin. My receiving the Spirit is tinctured with selfishness. I need to repent of my repentance. I need my tears to be washed. I have no robe to bring to cover my sins, no loom to weave my own righteousness. I am always standing clothed in filthy garments, and by grace am always receiving change of raiment. For thou dost always justify the ungodly, I am always going into the far country and always returning home as a prodigal, always saying, Father, forgive me, and thou art always bringing forth the best robe. Every morning, let me wear it. Every evening, return in it. Go out to the day's work in it. Be married in it. Be what, be wound in death in it. Stand before the great white throne in it. Enter heaven in In it shining as the sun, grant me never to lose sight of the exceeding sinfulness of sin, the exceeding righteousness of salvation, the exceeding glory of Christ, the exceeding beauty of holiness, the exceeding wonder of grace. Our Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And Lord, we in our imperfections today, we stand here humble in a posture of thanksgiving and worship for what you have done for us. Lord, we even know that our repentance is a gift. That you opened our eyes to the truth of who we are and what our sin is. But Lord, we know also today that we live each and every day and we have a battle. We battle these idols These internal idols that continue to raise up in us. Lord, I don't know today how many might be represented among this body of believers. I don't know how many idols we may be prone to wander towards. But Lord, I do pray this morning that you would help us. put. May the Holy Spirit put his finger right upon that which is the internal idol of our heart. And may today be that day of repentance where we say no more but also realizing that every single day there's going to be a need for a continual repentance as that idol will continue to try to gain a foothold once again. Lord, we pray that we would take this matter seriously this morning and that, Lord, we would not let a single moment, a single excuse to prevent us from being brought to repentance over those things which we have made our idols. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you that it has come to us not in word only, but in power. And Lord, we do ask you and pray that the repentance in our life would truly be evident. We thank you and praise you for all these things. And it's in Christ's name I pray, amen.